what's great in this space is that you're seeing great collaborations among these influencers that great brands are also grabbing hold of. And then they're creating unique products that are catering to this passionate community. Those products by definition are so scarce, but in such hot demand, uh, because again, it reflects what's happening out there in current culture. And there's a frenzy to get access to these products. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? It is the start of a new year and a new season of Mission Critical. I am so happy to welcome you back and wanted to take a moment to say thank you for all the support. We started this podcast in the fall of 2020 and the response has been absolutely wonderful. So thank you. If you know someone that's interested in entrepreneurial and leadership-based content, please point them our way. On our first episode of 2021, we're talking about the business of sneakers. Over the years, the collecting and trading of sneakers has grown from pastime hobby to global industry. Thanks to a passionate community of enthusiasts, or sneakerheads, the art of collecting kicks has fueled a category that is now considered to be a rising asset class. That's right, a form of social currency that has grown to something that you can invest in and make money off of. A lot of money. According to research from Cowan, the global sneaker market in 2019 was estimated to have a value of a whopping $100 billion dollars with the U.S. accounting for about 20% of that. Within this, the global sneaker resale market was estimated to be worth around $6 billion and $2 billion in the U.S. So what exactly has fueled this astronomical growth? Two things, according to Cowan. A strong demand, the sneakerheads, and a lean supply of inventory, limited drops from the likes of Nike, Adidas, and other giants of the industry. On the podcast today, we're speaking with Scott Cutler, CEO of StockX, an online platform that serves as a vehicle for sneakerheads to buy and sell on the secondary marketplace. Much like a stock exchange, here you'll find ticker symbols assigned to sneakers and clothing indicating their respective values in the marketplace. That is, a value on their hype, determined by the community, not the brands. Scott is fairly new to the team, having joined as CEO in 2019. But his professional pedigree as a former New York Stock Exchange exec and president of StubHub is a perfect recipe of experience that can take the Detroit-based business to new heights. So far, it looks like it's working. In 2020, StockX surpassed $2.5 billion in lifetime gross merchandise value and has expanded into other markets, including the opening of their first Canadian authentication center back in November 2020. Today, I'm speaking with Scott about how and why StockX was built, Redefining the rules of commerce and harnessing hype. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. So great to join you here today. Thank you so much. Um, We're super, super excited to be chatting today. If we start with the basics, you know, for someone that may not be familiar with StockX, how would you describe StockX and its place in the world? Well, our vision as a company is to be the leading global marketplace for consumers of current culture. And and for us, it's important to understand that who that consumer of current culture is. This is 
a next generation consumer, typically under the age of 35, that's uh, 75% of our customers, they are inspired by what they see on the feed of an athlete, a musician. It could be uh, an item that would be dropped with style by an influencer, with hype by an artist. But one thing is true for all of these consumers. They want access to these products that you simply cannot find from the brands, from the retailers, uh, now across multiple verticals. And so it's a really exciting and bold vision that we have as an e-commerce marketplace but again, focused on a real particular segment of what we would call next generation of consumers, which, by the way, is continuing to expand, uh, you know, uh, to a different type of consumer as well. But that's that's been our core focus. Right. And so when you talk about this next gen of consumers, obviously, there's a lot of dialogue around influencers and what is influential when it comes to companies and products and people. So Within your perspective, how would you define influence? Well, uh, influence is part inspiration, part personalization. It's ultimately, in some respects, it drives consumer behavior, but ultimately people want the opportunity to freely express who they are. Uh, but I think that expression comes with a demand for products that, you know, again, are, are being represented with great influence by those that have big, big followings out there in the world. And so what that means for us, this is really enabled through a next generation commerce experience. So in yesterday's world, you know, this would be typically a brand that's selling something that's on their shelf in inventory today. Um, our consumer has an expectation that they could have access to a product that would be released today or released five years ago. And really, uh, the resale marketplace, a marketplace like StockX, is really the only place that can deliver against that consumer expectation. So I think what you're seeing among this next generation consumer is the emergence of next generation platforms that you know effectively are increasingly foregoing the old primary retail channel in favor of uh, secondary platforms to find these high demand items. For us, it's a really exciting place to be at the convergence of trend, the convergence of primary and secondary. But ultimately, uh, when we talk about our consumer, it's really enabling that consumer to participate in current culture and express their identity with confidence. Uh, on our platform. There's almost like a, a democratic approach to it in a sense. And so I was reading, you know, StockX bills itself as being a stock market of things, quote unquote. How does it work and how does it relate to or deviate from traditional supply and demand dynamics? The traditional uh, dynamic is a product is released, um, set at a static price, and typically in a retail channel, it sells for that price, seven days later, it's marked down, it's continued to mark down, and then it's ultimately in the exhaust of a distribution channel. Um, our, our platform works completely differently in that we start with a product, but that product experience is product in a product page that's persistent for a long period of time. You know, it could be you know over 10 years from when it's released, and this product is continuing to trade over time. And on our platform, you're able to transparently see the price in real time uh, at what these products are trading for. 
And then you can transparently see if you're a buyer, what every seller is willing to sell that product for. And if you're a seller on our platform, you're able to see at every price point what buyers are willing to pay for that product. Um, and so the, the experience for us is very transparent to the user. It's very easy to use, but it has that stock market-like functionality where similar to the stock market where you can see what a stock is traded for. Here on our platform, you can see what products are trading for on the platform uh, transparently, which is a very powerful consumer experience. And it's one of the most engaging parts of the user experience. You're just coming to the site and checking the value of what these products are trading for. Again, typically that you can't find in a, in a retail location. And say the other core part about our experience in that, and we can go into more detail, but once that consumer finds that product on the platform and a transaction occurs, we stand in the middle of that. We authenticate that product to make sure that the consumer gets exactly what they wanted. Again, powered by a marketplace of sellers around the world. What you're saying is so interesting and, and obviously it's resonating. And in the short amount of time that StockX has been around, you've grown very quickly as a company um, since it launched in 2016. And since then, it surpassed the billion dollar valuation mark in 2019 and in 2020 has surpassed uh, $2.5 billion in lifetime gross merchandise value, if I'm correct. So you guys have all been very busy and moved really quickly. <laughs> With that in mind, what are the challenges to growing so rapidly? You know, What has helped to keep the company on course and focused when you find yourselves on this you know, rocket ship acceleration path? 2020 has been a defining year for the company. We do recognize it in the history of the company, which is short in five years. We've grown tremendously, but what we've experienced this year has been a combination of staggering growth during and after the pandemic, traditional distribution channels of brick and mortar being unviable for most consumers, and then the dramatic increase in the number of people that have been shopping online as a result of all of those things. And so for us, we've had to work through how we as a platform for our team and for our customer would remain open and stable and strong, you know, to be able to power this, this marketplace. And as a result of the work that we've done, you know, on the product experience, as well as in our own customer experience, uh, we've we've seen explosive growth through the pandemic and accelerating growth really quarter on quarter throughout the year uh, that continues right into Q4. And so while we've had dramatic growth in our past, we continue to see accelerating growth into our into our future. Now, you joined as a CEO in 2019, but your career path has seen you in major positions at you know companies like eBay, StubHub, the New York Stock Exchange. How have those experiences helped you prepare for your role today? And you know what are the most valuable lessons you've learned from these jobs that are helping you guide StockX, especially in a year like 2020? I've had the fortune now to either run or be a part of some of the largest marketplaces in the world. And that could be from 
stock and derivatives trading, financial marketplaces to online ticketing to you know the first peer-to-peer marketplace online in, in eBay. I would have never thought that all those things could have been tied together so nicely and serendipitously as they did. But it was also the reason that, le- that led me to StockX. So when, when StockX first went public on what it was going to accomplish, their vision, the founders said that they were basing this experience on the New York Stock Exchange stuff up in eBay. And I reached out to the founders on their first press release and said, there's one person in the world that's got my background. I think this is a huge idea. I'd love to help. It led to a three-year relationship with the founders as they were bringing this product out into the market. Um, and so when I, when I joined in 2019, I had had the opportunity of seeing how this team um, had worked and seeing the you know, really dramatic growth that StockX had as a platform. But for me, it's, it's serendipitous in that it has tied together all of my career experiences at this moment in time. And so bringing us up to speed to today, you know, the company has recently built a new authentication center in Canada, in Toronto, as part of the global expansion. I want to talk about that and how it relates to trust, because trust is such a critical part of the relationship between any brand and its customers. But in the case of a company built on resale and highly coveted items where there's a lot of money being passed around and and also counterfeits, you know, what have you learned about establishing trust and the things you need to do to continue building on that trust with your, your consumer? Just starting with Canada specifically, Canada is home to an extremely passionate community of, of sneaker and streetwear enthusiasts. I mean, it's, it's the closest country geographically to our U.S. headquarters in Detroit. But this culture draws the influence of many of the same voices and figures that helped shape the culture of this industry in the U.S. and around the world. Important in that experience, for sure, is trust. And the way we build trust in our marketplace business is that we authenticate every product that's sold on our platform. And that authentication process starts with an authentication center uh, in a specific location. So we recently launched our first Canada-based authentication center in Toronto. This Toronto authentication center was our eighth globally. It's our first in North America, located outside of the United States. And this facility is part of a global supply chain that ensures that we can continue to deliver on this promise of trust, a best-in-class experience for for our buyers by authenticating sneakers, streetwear, collectibles, electronics for our customers. And that trust, we, you know, authenticity stands at the center of our brand. It's our promise to our customer, but it is also the way we unlock this supply from sellers around the world. And and we did this in Canada because we had a large base of sellers from Canada uh, that were selling on our, on our platform. At the beginning as a company, was it hard to establish that trust initially with a group of people that are probably already a little bit skeptical because of the nature of, you know, the marketplace that they're kind of existing within? Yes. But when you look at what trust means to us, it's authenticated product. And that product is coming from sellers who have product around the world. 
And we're authenticating for size, color, style. It has to be in its original box, original packaging, can have a manufacturing defect. And then, of course, is it fake or is it authentic? And so when items pass through our authentication center, uh, we're checking for all of those things uh, because the buyer on the other side of the transaction expects to get a brand new, never used, perfect item across all of these categories that we authenticate against. And you're right in other marketplaces that don't provide this level of authentication. It's a difficult consumer experience that's that's marked by returns and chargebacks, fake, inauthentic product. It's, it's a hassle. It, it's not associated with trust. And we've created a very clean but yet frictionless experience for both buyers and sellers that is really better than any other commerce experience out there in, in, in our spaces. I was looking through your Twitter earlier when I was doing some research because you're you know active on there. And you tweeted earlier this fall that the StockX model was built to redefine the rules of commerce. What are these traditional rules that are being broken and how are you doing things differently, building on you know what you've said earlier in, in our interview so far? Well, the rules of commerce of yesterday were dictated by brands that would say, this is the value of a product. This is when we're going to release this. This is where we're going to release it. All of those barriers have come down rapidly. Now, uh, the consumer in our platform is, is essentially setting the price. The price is reflected in the demand and supply equation. Uh, consumers have access no matter where it's dropped or released around the world. So very democratic. Um, and so those barriers that kept people away from product or, or making product inaccessible to these customers have all come down very rapidly, which is which is driving traffic and influence and buyers uh, to our platform because we've eliminated all those barriers that before restricted commerce in, in some respects. Today, we're seeing a transformation of entire industries where the balance of power is being redistributed under a more democratic theme. Following this marketplace evolution, StockX is redefining the rules of commerce in its sector by giving its community of sneakerheads the power to determine the value of a product. Hype, in other words, demand, is a key driver that gives consumers agency over prices on the StockX platform that they wouldn't otherwise find in more traditional brick-and-mortar retailers. Harnessing community and understanding this culture of loyal evangelists is key to powering StockX's model. Now, you know, building on redefining commerce, the research firm Cowan estimates that the sneaker and streetwear resale markets are north of $2 billion in North America and growing by 20% year over year with the potential to reach $30 billion globally by 2030. So it's very clear that sneakers are becoming this, you know, emerging form of asset class. How does it behave similar to uh, more traditional asset classes? And conversely, how is it unique in, in your perspective? When you think about it, I, I often think about the similarities to the stock market. And when you think about the stock market, we have things called IPOs. These are companies that are going public. Uh, they issue shares out into the market. But the actual market size is not how much those shares. It's actually the total trading um, of the asset of equities 
in the market. And so for us, when we when we try and define the addressable market, which is a significant opportunity in just sneakers alone, it's not only the products that are released on the market, which is the products that are available today, uh, but it's also it stays in our inventory for its for its lifetime. Um, and so 60% of the transactions that happen on our platform are products that are outside of its eight-week release window. We call that back catalog. That's inventory that's not available anywhere else. And so as releases from great brands come out, that just adds to the catalog. And so the catalog is ever expanding. So we're both a consumption and trading market. And so it represents a, a significant market opportunity. And now Wall Street is, is tuned into how large this market opportunity is. And even those early research reports at the beginning of the year that we started to see out of Wall Street that define the market, they've already had to revise those estimates upward uh, because of the growth that uh, you're seeing in resale and in particular on platforms like ours. It's so interesting to see the evolution of that. Now, obviously, you know very well that the sneaker community is one that is extremely passionate. What have you learned about not only building a thriving community, but also nurturing one and, you know, feeding the beast that it is, you know, what does it take to keep that alive and keep things fresh? Well, we have a responsibility to our customers, even as a marketplace, we've had to take a stand on social issues uh, because it's been important for our company. It's been important to our customers. Diversity and inclusion as one example of that has come uh, to the forefront this year in terms of the social injustice that we see. And so as a company, we've been committed to diversity in our hiring practices, inclusion in the way we provide opportunities for our team members. We've had to take a stand on certain products in our, in our catalog we had to remove because it was offensive to the sneaker community. For example, the Betsy Ross sneaker. Uh, my first action as a CEO was removing the Betsy Ross sneaker from our catalog, but it required us to take a stand for what we felt as though was right for the community. And this year has also been a really interesting year with Kobe's death as an example uh, we saw prices for Kobe's products um, skyrocket following his death. That was reflected in the marketplace. And so, you know, we had the opportunity to make a charitable contribution to Kobe and Vanessa Bryant Foundation. Uh, we saw tremendous demand for Jordan products after the release of the Last Dance documentary. And so these things that are happening out in culture and society with our enthusiast customer base it's reflected immediately on the platform, but there are times where we are taking a stand on significant social issues that impact our community in such profound ways. And this year, you know, maybe more so than any other year, these issues have come out to the forefront of our business and we've, we've spoken out about it. We've been vocal around what we see and what's important to us as a brand. And I think that's you know very interesting that you bring that up because in the interviews that we have with a lot of leaders that are leading companies, I think the common denominator seems to be that you have to have a one a point of view and you also have to take a stand. Not taking a stand is very much taking a stand as well. So the ones that we're talking to who are very mission driven and purpose built are 
also very intertwined with the community and leading with their values and making sure that in today's world, especially in 2020, when you have the intersection between social issues with business, with culture, all of these things together, they have to be considered together. You know, especially in the sneakerhead community, you see brands that achieve, you know, a certain cult-like status or have almost become a religion to some people and how loyal they are and how they identify with these brands. What common denominators do you see here in terms of the influence of certain brands and the frenzy and hype that surrounds one brand or a drop over another? Obviously, the major brands continue to have significant influence, but the trends that to me are exciting are the microcurrents that become macrocurrents in the industry. You know, you've seen the rise of great brands. Travis Scott as an influential artist does a collaboration with Nike and then does different collaborations, for example, with McDonald's. That merchandise then becomes available on StockX. Uh, The Travis Scott brand in streetwear has catapulted to one of our top brands among all brands. And that's happened in you know, less than 24 months. And so I'm so excited by what I'm seeing happen. And again, where that lightning strikes is where it can be a brand, it could be an artist, it could be an influencer, a celebrity, an athlete, you know, hits a tone. And what's great in this space is that you're seeing great collaborations among these influencers that great brands are also grabbing hold of. And then they're creating unique products that are catering to this passionate community. Those products, by definition, are so scarce, but in such hot demand, uh, because again, it reflects what's happening out there in current culture. And there's a frenzy to get access to these products. What is the most interesting thing that you've learned or discovered on the job about the area that you exist in as a company? Uh, whether that's about, you know, sneakerhead culture or, you know, the people that you work with. Is there anything that really sticks out to you in the time that you, since you started as the CEO? I'm inspired by what I see happening, but I'm, I'm inspired by our team. This process of authentication, there's technology, of course, involved in that, but at the center of it are people, our team members that have operated in this pandemic in, in amazing ways. Uh, for us to be stable and open to this time period. Uh, We have team members on the front line that are showing amazing dedication. And so for me, you know, what I've learned as a CEO this year in quite unexpected ways associated with COVID, um, how is it that we put our team first from a safety perspective, from a support perspective, uh, because they're the core to us delivering a great experience to our customers. So yes, we're in hype culture and current culture, but for us to deliver this great experience, it really does take our team you know, doing some really incredible work this year uh, to deliver that trust and authenticity in the consumer experience. So that's what both inspires me as well as challenges me as a leader of a global company that's expanding so rapidly around the world. Now, at the end of the day, what would you say is your mission? What's the bigger purpose, the big picture for Scott as well as StockX? As I said, our, our mission is really aligned with the vision of being a 
global leading e-commerce marketplace. I think for me, the mission also includes the culture of what we're building as a company. We've gone through a process this year with our team of defining our culture. And I'm, I'm so excited and proud that our culture has tenets and values associated with committed to doing what's right, building a legacy, being part of a dream team, always hungry for what's next. These values have come to life this year. And, and my mission is really capturing and, and providing spark to these values as we drive and create a great company. And so I'm, I'm fortunate to be part of that dream team. But my mission is really bringing these values to life for our team. And that will ultimately be reflected in a great customer experience because we're committed to that customer at the core of everything we do. Great answer. A great way to end the interview. Uh, I really appreciate the time and have enjoyed chatting with you, Scott. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. It is undeniably exciting to see the potential of unconventional asset classes like sneakers growing in influence. StockX is certainly not responsible for starting the movement, but can be seen more as a steward for the industry and its skyrocketing growth. Most importantly, they can provide an important lesson in what can happen when you nurture and cultivate a passionate community to power business and industries alike. Next time on Mission Critical, we're speaking with Wealthsimple CEO and founder Michael Katchen about the taboo around personal finance and how we can build a better relationship with our money. Why we exist at Wealthsimple is because of this belief that everybody should have access to the best financial tools. And it shouldn't be that you only get access if you have a lot of money because access to the best financial tools and making good financial decisions is the way that you enable yourself to live that life you want and provide that life you want for your family. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?